How you been? Uh, pretty good. You know, the the other day when uh, we did we we had a day when we recorded like three episodes a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, it was pre- it was pretty draining. And then uh, that night, I, I went out to the cantina for a while and ran into some people, and 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 I met this uh, this young lady and. She, and uh, she said, "Ah, oh, so what do you like to do?" And and I said, "Oh, into a few things like uh, um, making music, uh, recording YouTube videos, making podcasts." And she's like, "Oh, uh, do you like to do drugs?" Uh, and I said, "No, not not recently." And she <laughs> and she said, "Ah." Are you sure? <laughs> um, so you know, she seemed weird to you, or like normal conversation? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it's the the first time it's ever happened, but <laughs> um, I, I, I asked her like, "What's what, what are you saying? Like, are my pupils enlarged or something?" And she's like, "They are huge." <laughs> so that was the. Yeah, yeah. So talking to you, uh, you know, li- listening to some of your wacky ideas kind of put me into <laughs> into that psychedelic space, like <laughs> like I'd just taken something. I, I I think so. You know, we um, we we have this experience sometimes when it's it seems like we get together and uh, as as soon as we start talking or as soon as we walk into the other's house. Uh, Something shifts in our mind, well, like I, we. I notice I feel different. Yeah. Like it's, it's like a, <laughs> I, I yeah I feel like uh, someone spiked my drink. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's just enough that you know I'm still I'm still good. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the opinion of the viewers. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> this is like your mind opens just a little bit. You open up to that other frequency, and so, something a little nuts starts we, to happen. We, we begin to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not stuck in the same old day in, day out type stuff. Well, this, this is going to be a big episode, so yeah, I think we might only shoot this one today. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, <laughs> we don't need to rest after that. Um, all right, run the intro. Intro. Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. I'm Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. Sweet. And today we're going to talk about the, the State of the Union speech that happened a few days ago. Yeah, so President Obama dropped dropped a lot of, um, I was about to say truth bombs, but that's actually the complete opposite of what happened. Uh, <laughs> he seemed like he was lying his ass off. But well, that's the just, truth. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason, um, the reason why... Uh, well, I actually brought it to you and said, you know, we should, we should talk about this. Yeah. Because I didn't even, I mean, it wasn't something that was really of, of interest to me. I didn't really know, I didn't even know what the State of the Union speech was. I had to, I had to look it up. Just mm. to, I mean, I assumed it was an address to the nation, mm. which, which is presidential speech. It seems to be weighed a lot about, like, you know, mm. see a lot of people bring attention to it. Mm. Um, so I thought, okay, you know. Sometimes, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And that's a, yeah, that's a weird thing about it. 
Yeah. True. I mean, it was, it was uh, I don't know, to me it was all new. So I thought, yep. you know, okay, my, uh, my brother-in-law, which, uh, which lives in the U.S. with, uh, with my sister and their, their three children, mm-hmm. uh, just with uh, everything that's going on in the economy, the whole world changing, everything's so dramatic and fast moving now. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I worry about you hear different news and, and just what's happening in the U.S. and the, you know, the terror threats and everything. It's like, you know, I, they're, they're, they're my thoughts. So I thought, you know, you know mm-hmm. what, when, uh, when the question was posed, you know, what do you think about this? I thought, cool, okay, I'll, I'll have a look. I didn't realize it was like an hour long. Mm-hmm. But I sat through it, I made a few notes. Mm-hmm. We've, we've discussed it. Yeah, at at length, we're trying to analyze it on on a lot of levels, and I I think we have a few interesting things to say about it Um, because we both got a background in sales, and and that's actually, yeah. We have a, I mean, it's not that different. Like it's not that. It's not like we have an insane point of view, Mm. but we noticed a few things that were interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it's not a debate, so he could, so Barack Obama could pretty much say whatever he wanted without anyone, you know, button him, button in, or without anyone shooting him down. Uh, yeah, but it just seems that like he really took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. He's able to say whatever he wanted in the way yeah. that he needed to. Yeah, so he gives this address before Congress every year, I think it is, and. And, um, yeah, of course, it's broadcast to the nation so everybody can watch it. But, yeah, like, like you said, nobody, nobody is up there contradicting him. Nobody's taking the mic and saying, let's battle or something like that. Oh, oh, hey, hey, <laughs> so, hey. What? Yeah. Like, hey, you're taking it too far on that one, buddy. No, nobody is, nobody is going to call him out on anything he says before Congress. I mean, the, the most they could do is not applaud I suppose <laughs> well we, we both watched it all the way through yeah I watched it like three or four times yeah well, we have now yeah um, it was just that good I'm just... <laughs> he's a it very was... good speaker yes he yes very, he presents his, his point of view very well yeah I think I went to bed that night just with with Barack Obama's voice in my mind and it's the right thing to do <laughs> I don't know um, watching it four times is the right thing to do <laughs> <laughs> I watched it right through and it was like the superficial rubbish that they got to me. Yeah. Like, you know, just when you know that, okay, that, that's not exactly true. That's not, that wasn't in context or it just, just quoting things that weren't like bolting things together. Yeah. So, so for example, he brings, it brings up this feminist trope that uh, women own 77% of what men do in the workforce, which which is um, it's very misrepresentative of the facts because the, the fact is that women tend to have uh, part-time jobs when men have full-time jobs, and there's a bunch of factors which, uh, which, um, which change that. W- women tend to go into uh, things like nursing and childcare, whereas men tend to go into engineering, and that's, that's where a lot of the difference lies. It's not that two, like a, if you're comparing a, a male engineer and a female engineer that the, you know, the female engineer owns 77%. There's, a, there's a, another level to that. But, you know, who cares about fact-checking? Because you're the president. <laughs> you talk a lot. He had a couple of bedtime stories. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really grown, I really became quite fond of little Henry. 
<laughs> actually now emotionally invested in the future of education. Yeah. Isn't it great that you might have a shot at you know, free community college? Yeah, yeah. He kept bringing up these anecdotes and he, he would always talk about a middle-class middle family um, or a family that could be like your next-door neighbour and, and he would bring something into it. But um, the, the thing is, before he even says a word... I think there's a lot of communication going on there because you're seeing this guy walk up, he stands at a podium, he's got a, a, a couple of people looking behind him and, and they're all dressed in suits. Um, he's standing before a, a, a big group of people, like a, a few a hundred, at least a hundred people, I would say. It was a big crowd. Yeah. yeah. You know, you got the vice president over his right shoulder. Yeah. Um, he... I watched all the way through and I was, I was listening to the, like I said, the superficial sort of like, you know, picking at, at what he was saying. Mm. But I didn't really understand, like, you don't, I didn't really capture what he was actually saying until maybe the second time that I listened to it. And I knew what I was looking for, but then I could pick up on techniques mm. that, that he was using within his speech. But before we go there, mm. just to build on what you're saying about how the fact that he's speaking in front of a big group of people. Yeah. that every five to ten minutes they're going to stand up and give him a standing ovation, yeah. which is like compounding this this authoritative, yeah. uh, well-said congratulations. Yeah, what, what you're saying is gold. truth, what you're, what you're saying is reliable, and what you're saying is worthy of praise. Uh, so there's that whole meta-communication there. He doesn't have to say a thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's he's already the champion of the world in in this like limited vision on your TV screen. If we were able to pick the words out that he's using that he's saying, hmm. it, like it didn't warrant it, it, it didn't it didn't warrant such a uh, such a positive response. Yeah. And if you were, I mean, we didn't take we didn't we haven't like it didn't take us long to dive into it and say this is what this is what he's actually saying. Hmm. I mean, it's completely irrespective of communication. You said the actual words in the communication, body language, this yeah. tone, and the, the words that's actually used, like the smallest percentage, or like seven percent, or something. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, that experiment, like that's a that's a common thing that people say. Seventy percent of communication is body language. Twenty three percent is the tone of voice, and then seven percent is the words you're actually saying. And that was based on an experiment where people were rating what they were paying attention to uh, when they were listening to a professor lecture. And so, I, um, so basically the, uh, the, the body language in this experiment would interfere with people listening to the words or, the, or another way of looking at it is the, bo the body language is, yeah, about 10 times more important than what, what the words are. Yeah, and, yeah. and, that, and that's without counting. The, the complete environment that he was in mm. and that he presented in and the, the way the media presented it as well. Mm. They're often shooting into the crowd. Yeah. You know, cutting people laughing and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Or whatever yeah. it is. So, I mean, the media is a big, big, big role to play in how, yeah. they, in how they present such a, such an event as mm. well. Yeah. So you were, you were mentioning the other day when the, the media did something a bit unscrupulous. Well, what I related it to straight away was mm -hmm. if, okay, let's say the, the, the crowd, there's a, there's a shot on the, the president and there's a, there's a shot, like a, a rolling shot of the crowd as well and spotting different people out. Mm. Now, there, there's an incident here in Mexico where the president, he gets up in, on the day of, the, of, of Mexican independence 
they, they, they have this their speech, the president's speech, similar address. Yeah. And they call it the Grito, the Independencia. Yeah. The, now, the, the call of... The, the call of independence, or the scream of independence. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the war cry. Yeah. Like, you know, this is like true Mexican pride, I guess, in, the, in, mm. in what they, in, in all that the independence entailed, except mm. that the television company that was shooting it actually, mm. maybe it's a conspiracy theory, but... <laughs> It was it was quite uh, quite well known that the the footage of the crowd in the circle of the of Mexico City wasn't actually the, the the real footage that was there on the day that they were mm. shooting live. Mm. So you know maybe the speech and the, the shot on the president was right, mm. but the but the, the the rolling shot of the the crowd mm. was of of a previous year. Yeah, and, and it, this isn't that uncommon. Yeah, we've seen a few examples of that, like. In, in 2011, there was a case where uh, Fox News, by mistake, played footage of Ron Paul from the previous year where people were booing at him. Um, so when he, when he won some certain seat, uh, some, some step in the election pro- process, um, they were portraying him as being extremely unpopular. And again, that carries that subconscious message. Then uh, more recently... There was a case in France after the Charlie Hebdo um, shooting. There was uh, a bunch of world leaders and, and politicians and community leaders lined up together. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except they, they had a crowd of regular people behind them. Except when you see it shot from a different angle, you just see a line of of people, not a crowd. They were they were standing about two or three deep, just enough to give the camera the illusion. That um, that there was a huge crowd a of people. people turned out yeah, from yeah. A headshot view. Yeah. Up a little bit. It's four people deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a, you know, interesting how the the media can manipulate your perception so easily. Well, even just after the the State of the Union speech, um, looking into the media to mm. see what was actually presented the, the following day. Mm. They, this, the main headline story was about the, the, the shooting in, uh, in Missouri mm. by, uh, by, by a policeman, Daryl Wilson. Darren Wilson, yeah. Darren, Darren Wilson. Wilson just shot uh, Mike Brown. Yeah. It was like, I wanted to know more about the response from the speech. Yeah, you know, criticism. Just, yeah, just uh, a general, did it go well? Yeah. Like, did, yeah. Were people excited about it? You know, did it poll well? Um, but Anything, no. Because, I mean, <laughs> at this point, I, I was still trying to work out, you know, what what's the the purpose of the speech? Like, what's right. it all about? Right. Um, but to bring such a, a such a heavily weighed uh, media story mm. into to play it straight after mm. such a, a big speech, yeah. it was like you know, there's obviously a big percentage of the media. Like this, the story got pushed. All I'm assuming newspaper and television. A lot of people probably didn't hear much about the response to the State of the Union speech, but mm. more interesting, man, I didn't believe that a policeman got away with it. Mm. Mm. Like he would just, yeah, the charges were dropped. Yeah, well, I'm I'm still not sure. I mean, there there was some kind of there was a few sides of the story with that. I'm not sure if it was if the self-defense case was valid or not because it was it was very confused. I guess it was kind of. Deliberately confused in the media, they try to each try to portray the different angles. I'm not sure if the guy was 
justified in, in shooting or not. It's a, uh, I was and, more and, interested in the coincidence yeah, of yeah. The, you know, because that, that, that is the biggest media story probably of, uh, of last year. Mm. And just get played, just happened to get played the day or two days after the speech. Yeah. Like it just covers up a lot of, a lot of potential front page. Yeah. So was that like, what was it, was the speech actually a bomb and the people thought it was awful or they thought he, they saw through his lies and that's why um, the media decided to jump on the, another story or um, it was just a coincidence or I don't know what it was. Well, I'm still confused whether, whether it was a good speech or not. <laughs> well, because from our perspective, we're like, well, you know, he's, he says a lot of nothing, then he says more nothing. He says a few, he misrepresents a few facts uh, and tells some anecdotes and then the speech is over. Um, that, that's my view of it, essentially. Yeah, the actual content mm. was very empty. Mm. Mm. Like a, a lot of what he was saying, it, it pushed a point of view, but he didn't actually explain the, the hows, or there's, yeah. no, there's no time for stats. Yeah. There's no time for actual evidence behind this. And sure. Then, and sure. when you start scratching a little bit, you see that there's really nothing yeah. behind it anyway. But it just calls like, uh, you know, the economic, the economic situation is great. You know, our stock market's yeah. higher than, than ever. Yeah. It's like, yeah. and then everyone gets up and starts clapping. It's like, of course it is. Do, you know, don't you see what you're doing behind the other door? Right. Like, of course it's going to be as high as ever when you just keep pushing those numbers in there. Yeah, when uh, Janet Yellen or Ben Bernanke are in the Fed and, and they're just uh, pumping out money into the, into the stock market, more, like, more or less, well, you know, about one step that, removed from the stock market, just creating money um, yeah, and inflating still, the stock market. We're still yet to see where that money is going to trickle through, but, but qualitative easing, <laughs> okay, maybe they stop now, but uh, I mean, every other country, if they haven't already started, is about to go live. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's not a coincidence that we're seeing different, you know, economic, uh, well, yeah, just, I mean, I would think of it changes in the currency, the, the Australian recently. dollar, the way it dropped, yeah. like, Australian dollar, the so, ruble, the Mexican peso, you know, all, um, just about every major currency crashed against the US dollar. But then, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's all, a whole all the other topic. Are, all the dollars are going home. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's no, no, and then have the president take credit for strengthening the dollar? <laughs> yeah, he seemed to take credit for a few things, like um, when he mentions uh, lower fuel prices, and then he slips in higher fuel standards, as if that somehow lowers the price of gasoline. Uh, um, it was brilliant. Yeah. You know, for the kids, right? <laughs> and higher fuel standards, like we put through some, you know, two lines of regulation and that's what made the price of oil drop down. Saving dollars for the average <laughs> middle-class family at the pump. <laughs> right. $750 a year. Yeah. So that was a bunch right. of nonsense. 750 bucks. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, it, it was a sales pitch. Yeah, yeah. I so mean, he's, he's, a, he's a sales rep for whatever he's trying to sell. And what he's trying to sell is a positive outlook to the, to the American people mm. to say that, you know, things are good. Mm. Mm. We're creating jobs. The economy's strong. The dollar's strong. Stock yep. market's great. Yep. But these aren't real factors on actual purchasing power and quality of living for families. 
Yeah, or the, you know, the the economic recovery is very superficial. Like, yeah, new jobs have been created, but a lot of them are part-time or in the service industry. They're not actually creating anything. They're just reserving something. Um, but uh, as, a, as a sales representative, I mean, obviously, he's a very good sales representative, but this is the, the weird thing about it. Like, if somebody, a charity mugger, stops you in the street or you see... Um, in a supermarket, they call you over and say, hey, uh, let's talk about your phone plan. Um, then you know, you more or less know. I, I think most people have have quite a high level of awareness that what they're going to see next is a sales pitch. And you shouldn't necessarily believe everything that that person is going to say because they have an ulterior motive. They're probably getting paid on commission. Um, and yeah. Yeah, they've they got something to you to, to buy something yeah. to sign into or, it's, a, or an understanding yes. that they want you to, to accept. Yes, they, they're, trying to, they're trying to push on you their understanding of the world or, or a certain understanding of the world. And most people are aware of that when somebody knocks on your door, you, you know that. But how many, people, uh, how many people think that way when they see a politician on the news. I, I'm sure a lot of people have, have that level of awareness, but I don't think it's, it quite lines up the way it should. Yeah, it does, it's not equally weighed. Yeah. Because when you, when you have a president credit, have a speech, it's not like he just intruded into your, into your shopping day mm. and he's now telling you some information. Mm. Like he, you know, he's, he's presentable, he's got a whole team of people. Right. He's, he's, is he putting from a board and there's a, there's a big speech and everyone yeah. said, let's listen to what he has to say because he is and there is the glorified position. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's exactly the same technique. It's exactly yeah. the same pitch. It's the same steps. Uh, we, well, from our experience, we, we know exactly what, you know, what, how they start off, the, the introduction, the, the, the pitch, the way it goes, the way, yeah. like, the, the same rehash was used. He was able to wrap yeah. up the whole world. He's like, you're not the president of the world. <laughs> yeah, he pretty, he pretty much did. Like, he made it, he made it seem like, yeah, we're in control of the wo whole world. Uh, we start in the middle of the story and there's no, like, I don't even have to defend the fact that we're going to control things in other countries, we're going to bully other nations, it and is, then say it's bad to bully other nations no, in the same speech. That's expected. Yeah. It's like, it's know, a, we are the yep. USA. Yep. I'm talking to my people, and it's expected that we control the world. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, that, that's, and even if, you don't, even if you don't think so, the, the way he says it instills that thought in your mind. Mm. So you don't have any other, like other it's, thought. it's completely natural to think that the United States government should be controlling the world and have have a, its finger in every pie. Have have military um, military bases in 150 countries. I think. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But <laughs> well, what does he say? This this year, what we, what we achieved, what we removed fear from from the U.S. from the people in the USA. We're, we're helping the people of Ukraine express themselves. We're, we're establishing <laughs> yeah, freedom the of speech in, in Ukraine. Yeah. In, in Africa. Like, like, why are you talking to these other... Who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah, the, the people in Africa aren't going to vote for you. That's... Democracy in <laughs> Europe, They didn't vote for like... you. Yeah, yeah. And, and anyway, it's, it's about the, these techniques that he was able to use. Yeah. Like, he was, yeah. He was storytelling. Mm. He was bringing the community... He was making, he made himself my neighbor. 
Yeah. He's like, you know, he's, he lives in my street. He knows what I'm going through. Mm. Mm. Uh, the, you mentioned the Jones theory. Yeah, the, the Jones theory. So the, this is the, the idea, and we used to use this in sales all the time. It's the idea if, if your neighbors are doing something, if people similar to you are doing something, then uh, you're going to think it's a good idea too. Um, he also tries to influence people in terms of greed, uh, like throws in uh, words about free education, free, free community college. Um, and, and this is this, the kind of thing that we would used to do when we, when we went to the door. Uh, like we could, we could do a role play right now. Like say, say you knock on my door and, yeah, yeah. and try to sell me something. Let's say. It, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be a knock on the door. It'd be, Hello. hi, how are you going? I'm just, just in the neighborhood right. today. Yeah. Just, uh, just visiting all your neighbors. What, what I'm doing today is offering them a discount. What I'm saving them, saving them money. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's just a matter of uh, who, uh, what, which electricity company are you with at the moment? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm that interested. Uh, look, it's, they weren't that interested either, but I was able to save them some money. You, you could, I'm sure you're interested in saving money, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, I was able to save them $150. And <laughs> I'm sure we can think of better things to do with that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess I could. So the, <laughs> the point is here, you, you see... You weren't interested. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, that's part of it. And you just, uh, you, you bombarded with me, you bombarded me with, with about um, the, the word savings, discount, you know, money in your pocket, those kind of things, about five or ten times in the course of two minutes. And, uh, and, and that's, um, there's a famous clip of George W. Bush where he actually gives away the game, uh, he gives away his technique that he uses in speeches, where he says, in my line of work, you have to repeat the same thing over and over again. So people get it into their brains to kind of catapult the propaganda. <laughs> and, and that's what uh, Obama is doing too. Like he uses these phrases like middle-class economics. He uses the phrase middle-class economics about five times in the speech, but what does it mean? I mean, it, did, it didn't have a meaning before this speech. Nobody, I, I, I'm like, I, I study economics as a, as a hobby. I read a lot of articles about economics. I've never heard that term before. So it's like it was invented purely for this speech. 100%. Yeah. Middle, well, the concept of middle class is, is something that, that's the American dream. They created yeah. the, the concept of having a middle class, about having, yep. having a dream to, that they established that you could buy into mm. a, a comfortable way of life, a sustainable way of life. Uh, the, the concept of the people wanting stability, mm. the, the routine, it was, it was something that, that Henry Ford was able to bring in by creating such a, a, a big automotive industry. Mm. He was able to put people into positions where they, where they could stable, have, have a stable life. Mm. Mm. where they didn't have to actually think too much about what role they were doing or the value they were creating, but they either had a steady income, they, they, had, they either had a life. Mm. Like they, they didn't have to strive. But that, that's the other beautiful thing of the American dream. The middle class is that middle class because they're striving to, to rise above that middle class. Mm. But now mm. we've been able to see through this speech in particular how the middle class is actually falling down and right. to a level that... Uh, in the 50s, they would have considered the poverty line. And yeah. the people are actually living below that now, and they deemed as uh, middle class, the middle class economy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you had a couple of notes about 
the well, I was trying previous. To think, how, how could I illustrate? How could I? Because I mean, I, I was interested in. He, he mentions uh, fifteen thousand dollars as being the, the benchmark of of uh, being able to live. He even dares, yeah. he even dares everyone in the crowd try and live on fifteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, if you if you think that we shouldn't raise the minimum wage, try to live on fifteen thousand dollars a year. Just try it. That was, that was kind of his message. A double there. Yeah. But looking at fifteen thousand dollars today compared to what the poverty line was back in nineteen fifty, which mm. was three thousand dollars. I mean, with all the with all the money in money printed and inflation, mm-hmm. deflation, you can't unpinning from the gold standard. You can't. Or completely unpinning. It was it was it's, like half a. Like ninety percent unpinned at that stage. <laughs> it's, it's all they shouldn't touch the pin, or, or maybe the pin shouldn't have been there in the first place. But irrespective mm, yeah. of that, money then is not money now. Yeah. And, and the only way you can really look at it is, well, what could I have got for three thousand dollars in nineteen fifty mm. compared to fifteen thousand dollars today? Mm. And the only real two things that I think I could have, uh, I can, you can use is like gas prices and maybe and gold. Yeah. Because even, even property prices, depending on where you live in, you know, that's still a variable as well. The popularity of where people like yeah. to live. That's a, yeah, that's a huge variable. The, gold, these, gold and oil are kind of good benchmarks. Yeah. Perfect benchmarks. At least, I mean, they're reasonably stable across the, across the whole world. Mm. Yeah, well, that's why gold was, gold was money. Yeah. Well, here's the example. In, in 1950, $3,000 was like the, the minimum wage. The minimum, mm. like the, the this is the minimum before we start entering the, the poverty level. And for $3,000... Oh, so not, not a government-enforced minimum wage, but that's the poverty level. Well, that, that, that's what... Yeah, that, that was like the, the level of... Uh, I, I, I'm assuming the bottom of the, the middle class right. at, at that point. Yep. Because it's not, it's not really defined. I mean, these, these definitions are made up every speech, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's an official one, but, you know, it's very mutable. Yeah, definitely. So three thousand dollars in in the nineteen fifties could have bought you in, in gallons fifteen thousand gallons of, of fuel. Oh, okay, fifteen thousand gallons. Which is 50, wow, fifty-six thousand okay. liters. Uh, okay. Now, looking at the same poverty level, fifteen thousand dollars is going to give twenty-five thousand liters of fuel hmm. and six thousand eight hundred gallons of, of fuel. That's even after the price of oil has gone down recently. Yeah, well, it's the same price. Right. So it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna buy if you're on the poverty level in the fifties, poverty level today, in the fifties you could buy double the amount of fuel. Hmm. When you compare it to gold, it, it just gets taken straight out. It's, <laughs> it's, it's too much. Three thousand dollars in gold in the fifties was like eighty five ounces of gold, eighty five real ounces of money. Yeah. Compared to twelve ounces of gold on fifteen thousand dollars today. Hmm. So, so it's, it's like, where did my, where's the rest of my gold? Mm. Like, if, that, if that's deemed as real money and real value, then the difference between being on the poverty level in the 50s compared to being on the poverty level today is, what, what do you say, like 85, 85 ounces of gold today was $110,000? Yeah. yeah. $110,000 today is the poverty level of the 50s. <laughs> so there's, there's $95,000 missing. There's <laughs> $95,000 of that bottom poverty, bottom middle class that have dropped into the poverty zone. Hmm. I'll say there's a lot of people in that zone. 
Yeah, uh, though, and I mean, the other thing is, of, of course, with technological advances, I guess it's easier these days to to uh, do a lot more, more with your money. Like, for example, you can, you know, you um, in the 50s, it was impossible to buy an iPhone, but now you can do it for like $800. Uh, you know, it, ta- it takes, what, one twentieth of, of, uh, of your poverty level income, but you can, it's possible. Well, in the uh, 50s, you couldn't buy, couldn't buy gold either. Yeah, yeah, in the United States, yeah, because it was uh, it was made illegal to own by private citizens only. But but just with the production Thanks. of food and everything, things yeah. are things are a lot cheaper today. So you didn't really notice. Hmm. But that there's, there's the example. Yeah, yeah. So this kind of gives us a, an indication of how much money gets taken from us over time by central banking um, and fiat currency. They just uh, keep creating more money and. And uh, so we're actually, you know, the money is worth so, so much less than it was. But imagine if, if that's how much uh, we can buy, you know, the, po- the poverty level is, is, is that level. But, um, but we can buy more with our, with our money in terms of, like, if you, if you saved gold, you can buy so much more with your money. And so in that case... Um, Imagine how much wealth we would have had if they kept it. If yeah, if it was still on a gold standard, or if they if if they never turned it into fiat currency, um, you know, if if people were still using gold as money, or, or or you know, some other commodity that they chose as money rather than having these pieces of paper, government declared pieces of paper. Yeah, um, I think in in that case, it could possibly be the same, but. Equality would be would be would be more even. The gap mm. between equality wouldn't be so, such as a big gap as what it is now. Mm. Because where all the gold go? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, apparently the people say the Fed doesn't have it anymore. Like Fort Knox hasn't been audited in I, I don't know. The last time it was audited, I think someone went in there and they they got to see one room. <laughs> and it had a few bars of gold in there. Yeah. A couple of days ago, I went to I went to the movies and we saw uh, the the penguins, Los Penguinos, there, Madagascar. All right. And the first five minutes could be ten minutes. Hmm. It's um they they break into Fort Knox. Oh really? And guess what? There's gold. It's in. full of gold. Wow. <laughs> that that stretches the imagination a bit. Why, why are they teaching my kids that the gold exists? I know it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's propaganda for the for the little ones. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's kind of interesting that they still maintain that, that, like that they would go out of their way to to put that in a movie, or that 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 they would think of including it. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, let's see. You you were saying um, you heard a you heard a quote the other day about freedom of speech. Yes, the quote was, which I okay. Well, let's see. What was it? It was freedom of speech is somewhat like the canary in the mine shaft. Right. So my my interpretation of that would be that when governments start to work on on freedom of speech. Uh, when they start trying to take it away, that gives you a, a strong indication that something is wrong in your country. Uh, and so, I, 
I don't think there are actually are that many restrictions on freedom of speech in the United States. I don't, I don't think they, um, they, like, even in some cases, I remember 4chan was actually defended as a media source that got protected under the First Amendment, which is actually pretty good in terms of liberty. Um, but, um, but then in, in Australia, um, they have the Racial Discrimination Act or Racial Vilification Act, and there's, there's uh, Section 18C, uh, which, which means it can be a civil offence to um, to discriminate or to to hate <laughs> to say that you hate people because of their race. So if you get on TV and say I hate those bloody Chinese, uh, then then people could actually sue you because of that. And uh, and that that's that continues to be a debate in Australia. Like you know um, the I think it was the Governor General who said last year in a free country. People have the right to be a bigot, um, implying. Should yeah. <laughs> well, if it, if if they don't have the right to be a bigot, then it's just not a free country. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's implying that Australia isn't a free country. Um, um, you had yeah. A, you had a really good example of uh, of ramifications of, of having free speech. And yeah. Free, yeah. Because I think it's a common understanding that it just goes into like political correctness. Yes. Yes. So it's it seems. Like, I, I don't believe there are many restrictions on free speech in the United States in terms of legality. But um, there, there's a lot of focus on political correctness. Um, so, for example, the journalist Helen Thomas, very well-respected journalist, um, the, the, apparently for about 40 or 50 years, she would have a seat at the front of every presidential conference, uh, every press conference in the White House, and a lot, a lot of the events would always end with her saying, "Thank you, Mr. President," and she she had some some degree of fame with that. And uh, her questions were were always so so incisive, uh, and of course they got somebody like George W. Bush very flustered. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So by you know you could say maybe it's by coincidence, but what happened was. Um, a reporter on her on the street uh, went up to her and, and started asking her some questions about Israel. And she is actually Semitic. Um, she grew up in in a country close to Israel or Palestine. So so technically she, she's a, a Semite, um, like a Semite meaning descended from one of the tribes who was des descended from Shem. The, the biblical character. <laughs> um, so, so she's actually a Semite, but, um, but what happened was she said, I think, uh, I think people in the, the state of Israel shouldn't be there. Um, I think the Jews should leave the Palestinians, the, the Palestinians alone. And so immediately she got branded in the media as an anti-Semite. Um, and that was the end of her career. Um, she, was, she was done after that. She couldn't, she couldn't get a job. Um, so I think that's a, um, what, what she'd said wasn't anti-Semitic. It was, an, it was against the state of Israel and it was against, uh, certain action of, of Israelis, but it was, she wasn't saying I hate Jews. She never said anything like that. Um, so, um, that's a, yeah, that's a key example of the freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah. Take you free. 
to say whatever you want, but then you got to deal with what happens next. Yeah, story. yeah. So this is, and it could be, you could see this as kind of a loophole because, yeah, you can, uh, you're free to say what you want, uh, but maybe people will twist it around and uh, make you make it seem like you said something that you didn't uh, call call you anti-Semitic and end your career. Um, and that, and that's a big thing in, in the United States, like because you you could see you go go on Tumblr, and there are a lot of people who say you know it's it, it offends me to say this, it offends me to say that, uh, and there's there's a lot of these th- third wave feminists uh, they get offended of of uh, a lot of things like you like men spreading their legs in in uh, in on public transport or. Yeah, well, that's the, that's true. That's <laughs> a, yeah, that definitely stretches the limits of freedom of speech. Or yeah, they call they call this mansplaining. Like when a when a man constantly tries to explain something to you, I, I'm I'm probably oversimplifying that, but um, that but the point is, um, they they're trying to make it. If they can't make it illegal to do something, they will make it so. Um, socially unacceptable mm-hmm. they will they will keep trying to make it socially unacceptable to to say things but and that once yeah. it gets to that level it's always a one-way street mm-hmm. because it, you can uh, i mean what, what's what's a guy going to say the, the guy is being verbally attacked because he's, he's sitting comfortably mm-hmm. and all of a sudden someone feels like they need to tell him that that's, that's not correct you can't sit like that mm-hmm. yeah where, um, where does he go with that? He's like, uh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize it'd break in any rule. <laughs> socially, it's what? It's unacceptable now? Yeah, yeah. And they put up, they, they put up um, posters on, on the public transport in, in like New York City saying, you know, this is, uh, this is bad behavior. Um, but then if a woman puts a bag on her seat, why? There are no, there are no posters saying that's bad. Why, so why the double standard? I mean, it's, just, it's the same effect. It's the same consequence. And, I mean, if you really want to sit down, you can ask somebody to move their bag. So, <laughs> so it's really only a problem if you ask them and they don't move it. That's the only time it becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with the... I'm trying to bring that back to, to the speech. Yeah. It's like... The, the freedoms that have been removed, I mean, freedom of speech is only one of them. Mm. But, uh, I mean, Barack Obama mentions that, you know, we, we've been able to remove terrorism. Mm. Like we, that, that fear doesn't exist within our people. Mm. But it's it's not like that was something that, that I guess, um, I'm trying to say it, doesn't, it didn't exist to everyone in the first place, but the fear yeah. was created for everyone equally. Yeah, yeah. Like more people die in car accidents, more people die from police officers. Like, uh, and and I'm not talking about a small difference between terrorism attacks and and deaths by police officers. It's like a difference of twenty fold. Um, and the the other thing about political correctness is a, a lot of people um, will will use the defense of calling racist. So if you don't like President Obama, you're a racist. Uh, like that must be the only reason you don't like his policies. Uh, so it's politically incorrect to criticize Obama. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, shall we take a, oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's take a break. All right. 
Mm. Mm. And and w- what I think's happened is with the with this nine eleven generation, they were able to actually remove some of the laws mm. to make to remove that that freedom. Nine eleven generation, yeah, that uh, was another. Key, you like that? A key phrase from Obama's speech, like yeah, you bind people together somehow in this. Uh, arbitrary distinction related to a, a terrorist event like why does why does 9-11 still matter if he's saying that all of these wars are over well the war on terror is never over because you never know when it's going to strike yeah <laughs> well yeah i've always been at war with east asia um yeah well one thing that um, Noam Chomsky says is that the way, the way to control people is to to severely limit the area of debate but promote a voracious um, antagonism within that sphere so you have you have these two parties the de- or you have one party with two sides they're called the Democrats and the Republicans and they they argue against each other except they're not they're not really arguing against the important things uh, they they're, they're both very very similar on major issues like uh, like minimum wage the, yeah well, the, uh, well I guess there's some debate on that um, but uh, but in terms of things like war you know or in terms of things like the police state what's the difference between the two parties no neither of them will even recognize that as a problem I mean Obama did before he got elected the first time. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. That's that's a problem that has not been things aren't being addressed. Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like when you're watching TV, um, you're watching Fox News and they just move on to the next thing. Uh, they don't bother about correcting all of the errors that they made on the previous day. Well, talking about uh, Noam Chomsky, mm-hmm. he he mentions that the that we use language as a as a communication tool, but the language itself is is a more uh, is a more human characteristic about transferring thought. And I know we communicate thought a lot, but the way he describes it is that you create an idea in your mind, and then you put that into whatever words you need to yeah. in real time to put into someone else's head. But it's not the words that you're transferring; it's the thought. Ideally, but <laughs> do you think that that's actually how it happens? Because of, of course, I mean, when you talk to somebody, they can hear your words and they can pick things out of it and hear something completely different to what you said. That happens so that happens well, quite frequently. Exactly. Well, I think yeah. that that's why the president can get away with saying nothing, yeah. but all of a sudden, everyone clapping and applauding his nothingness. Yeah. Yeah. So he can say he can just string a bunch of words together, like uh, we're going to institute a middle class economics because that's what this country stands for—a free and open nation of great debate, standing up for your neighbours. It's a right thing to do. It's a right thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But what, did a, he, what did he say? A well, what did you just say? <laughs> Nothing. I didn't say anything. <laughs> do you think you um, can do that for an hour straight? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a bit of practice, yeah. But, but what's the difference that. between that and, and president material? Um, like what makes him the president? Well, I guess he was 
some people say he was uh, pre-selected by the Bilderberg Group. Um, he, I mean, let's see. The, the fact that he's black has something to do with it, the fact that he's a black politician. Um, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why he got selected to be a politician because I, I, I don't think he was just elected. I, think he, I do think he was selected because it was like a huge media campaign before he got elected. Um, and it, it wasn't like a, grass mo- gr- a grassroots movement. It wasn't people deciding on the streets, yeah, this, this guy's good. It, it was hev- heavy media backing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that, that selection process it talks a lot about him personally because I, I wonder whether he even wrote his speech. No, he, he absolutely didn't write his speech. There, there's I, several I, times I no where doubt he, that he, yeah. he, he contradicts what he's saying. Like I would, if I was him, I would be upset with my speechwriters. Mm. Well, then I couldn't even say what what he what he what he, what he was saying. <laughs> we were joking about well, we people like us, mm. we wouldn't even even think about the position. Yeah, like um, it's just so think about running for president. It's and just an irrelevant role, like something like uh, uh, Adam Kakash is doing. Like uh, he's going to run for president with the platform that he's going to dissolve the federal government. Yeah, I would consider that. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think that's the way to do it, though. But no, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think Akash does either. It's just his. Uh, it's like um, it's it's his way of getting attention to the ideas um, of of dissolving government. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think he's. I don't think he seriously thinks he's going to get elected. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it's a good social experiment anyway. I guess yeah. we'll, we'll see what response he gets and how he goes with that. Uh, the, the, the words that he uses, like he's mm. able to put through, he's, he's able to say a lot. Like uh, we, we can, we decided we're not going to pick out all the different things that he's saying. We're not going to like shoot holes through everything he says because that's just, that's what everyone else is doing. Yeah. I think it's more important to educate the people that are watching this in the purpose of what he's saying and why he's saying it. Mm. How, how to interpret it, how to spot the propaganda uh, and there, there are, there's a whole bunch of tricks that politicians do. A, a common one that I hear, like when they're answering a question, they'll say something like, that's a great question, and I'm really glad you asked that question. Um, and as soon as they say that, you know you're not going to get an answer. You know it, like 99% certainty. Um, sure. What they're going to say isn't going to address the question. They'll, normally they'll say something like, so what we need to do right now is just Put that aside so we can move on, get, come together, organize together and address this problem for what it is. So <laughs> we need to bring our troops home. Yeah. Um, it's like, th- yeah. Thanks, Obama 2007. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> we do need to bring our troops home. Hmm. But, um, but that terror threat, it just seems to uh, just keep popping up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, things like uh, we need to set an example. We can't have, as a bigger nation, we can't have countries bully in smaller countries. Mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. But then, uh, but then Afghanistan, Iran were mentioned. It's like, okay, Afghanistan. Well, what, uh, I, I'm going to quote. Um, well, firstly, they need to take responsibility, mm. right? They need to take responsibility. I'm not sure if anyone. Anyone in the public in the U.S. actually know 
where Afghanistan is, <laughs> let alone what responsibility they play in, in the war or what's, what's actually happening. But he says, must sign a security agreement. Okay. There's a slight pause yeah. that we have negotiated. Right. <laughs> it's like... We, yeah, the, the United States government has unilaterally negotiated. That's the implication. And, and then the other part, he, t- he talks about uh, we're going to organise diplomatically, we're going to perform uh, diplomacy backed up by a strong military force. or it's, it's something like this. And to me, it sounds like diplomacy is going to be the, the new uh, po- political buzzword so it's, it, instead of saying we're going to start a war, which people might have said 100 years ago or even 50 years ago, in, instead what they say is we're going to initiate diplomatic action. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that's what, uh, what the word diplomacy is going to mean in the next five years. Which, which is so open because anything can happen then and they're not, they're not bound to, any, to certain rules. Yeah. Uh, concerning Iran, he says... They have it. They have a chance, mm. like implying their their last chance to to what abide to the their their nuclear program yeah. or to not having a nuclear program. Yeah. It's like these countries don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, they're they're being bullied, which is I mean, just it, what they the, what he said. They're not going to do the, the country that that prides their their liberty mm. is. Removing that from other from other governments from other countries. Yeah, yeah, and the, I mean the unspoken uh, assumption here is, of, of course, on one level, the unspoken assumption is it's um, of course the United States has to control the world um, that uh, that Iran shouldn't have nuclear weapons, but he doesn't make a case for why they shouldn't, uh, and that, that it's okay for the United States government to have nuclear weapons, but not for anybody else. So there's this double standard. Um, but, but then the, if, you, if you think a little deeper about it, I think the, the point is, of course, when a country has a nuclear weapon, then uh, mutually assured destruction is, is, uh, is a threat, is an issue uh, when you're talking about military action. So if you prevent Iran from having a, a nuclear weapon, then you never have to worry about nu- uh, mutually assured destruction, which means you can invade them whenever you want. Tying hands. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't like uh, the character. The, the, the character, character of Obama. Well, the character that role he, he plays the, on TV. The role he plays. Yeah. It's like you, you talk so, so strong and well, mm-hmm. but there, there's, no, there's no honesty. There's no, there's no strength behind... Uh, behind anything that he says, mm. and the, I mean the, the, the examples when he when he talks about families, when, when he talks about how uh, you know good American families, implying that the the husband and wife both have to both have to work when he's talking about lowering or making accessible uh, childcare, mm. it's like this is only this is only a uh, n- not even an option, but this is a necessity. Which I think he uses that word too, necessity, in yeah, in, yeah, in, in you know, American society yeah. today, because the the middle class has dropped into the poverty level. <laughs> it's like if you were working and you're earning your your base three thousand dollars in 1950, mm. which is equivalent to 110 thousand dollars today, if you look at if you look at the gold standard, yeah. then the uh, 
you wouldn't need both parents working. The options for family life and the, the quality of living would be so much higher. But he's happy to, to talk about stories and, and portray through, through characters of I mean, Henry. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember the kids. But the way he says it is like he's so heartfelt for these families. Yeah. There's no care for these families. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe on some level it is. Maybe, maybe the guy has good intentions. I, I don't really know. But that, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know. Because he, he's a politician, he plays a character on TV, and some people ex- accept that as the truth, but that's like, you know, David Bowie isn't really Ziggy Stardust, he's not, he's not from Mars. Uh, <laughs> the, the president and, and Barack Obama, the, you know, the man, uh, two different people. Uh, it's, well, yeah, what you see on TV isn't reality. Well, that's one level. Mm. Like him being able to portray this and 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 push the the propaganda, explain the, the struggling families, mm. but what if we dig a little bit deeper? And you accuse me of thinking too much or thinking too hard about it. But <laughs> what what I was thinking was by explaining these stories yeah. and 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 saying okay that the both parents have they they must work you know to to bring to build a strong America. You know, we need, we need all families pulling their weight. We need everyone back in jobs. We need everyone employed. We need employers to employ. Uh, but what he's, what he's really doing, he's, he's able to create an image of a, of a status quo where that is the normal life. Yeah. Uh, Chomsky mentions where sitcoms have been used to do the exact same thing, where they're, they're being able to, to paint this image of what real life day-to-day really is. And in most cases, it, it doesn't need to be like that. But people buy into what, what's set as the, the, the precedent, this is, this is what it is. So why is it that parents both have to go to work? Why is it that you know, we need to put our children in childcare? It's like he's creating a new, a new American culture and he's making it okay because everyone's doing it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think a large part of that is or, it was already true before he said that that kind of stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't need to like, that's a, a lot of people already assume that it's like if, if he got up and started talking about, you know, uh, the regular man at home paying his mortgage or something like that. Um, nobody would, um, nobody would stop and say, ah, is it, or or nobody would change their ideas and say, ah, I guess it's normal to have a mortgage. Um, because they already accept that it's normal. And Mm. that's, um, that's like, Let's see. It's I, I mean, it can be a, co- a kind of pacing and leading. Uh, like a common propaganda technique is you, you have this article, and let's say the, the article is about a thousand words. Um, through the first, um, say, 500, 600 words, you're going to talk about things that people already know or, or lead them through steps which are going to say, ah, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. But then around the 600th word, you start introducing some new information, which they accept. It's not exactly information. It, it might be a lie or it might be a certain perspective, um, which, which people didn't um, think of before. Um, and that, that's the part which you want people to learn. And that's the part which is going to manipulate that reality. So in, in this case, what do you think he brought in for that? 
I mean, what, what was that? What was his 600th word in this speech? Mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I, do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking that the fact that he covered, uh, I mean, firstly, bringing together the 9-11 generation was bringing everyone together. Yeah. Then going through his stories about, about family mm-hmm. and, and setting, that, setting that standard or setting that, that image mm-hmm. brings everyone back in. And, okay, maybe it was pre-established, but we're talking about a technique yeah. To be able to get in under the to get in to get in the, get the in safety zone. Yeah. So now I'm wondering, what did he actually say? Well, I, I think part of it is the the fact that he emphasizes so much how the economy is getting better. Or he, you know, he even starts in the middle of the story, like you like you're talking about, with a lot of assumptions. Uh, he 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 starts saying how the how the economy has already gotten better. The stock the stock market is booming, um, and and yeah, there's the the assumption that what he's saying is correct, um, but then of course he contradicts himself when he talks about how uh, people are still struggling. Well, you know, it it can it really be both? Like uh, like the economy is booming apparently, but regular middle class people are suffering. So which is it? <laughs> uh, like that, those are two things which can't really exist in the same economy completely agree mm. but it's like how, how do you he says it in such a good way that you don't really take notice <laughs> yeah yeah but uh what, what what else i mean that that that's kind of the uh i mean the whole speech is about talking about the the growth and how we're going to move away from from oil-based fuels and how we're going to build our our super solar american gas new economy and, and all the good things yeah. And all, all the things that he just manages to take credit for, well, they I, actually have nothing to do with him. <laughs> I, I feel like it's, uh, it, was, it was very empty. And, and yeah, I was trying to think, well, you know, if there was a purpose behind the, the actual speech to, uh, you know, to, to, to give the American people like a positive note, uh, I, I think he did it. Yeah. I, yeah, I think he was able to pull together. Well, one, one thing which he says a few times, which I, I think is really rather despicable. Um, he, in a roundabout way, he, he says, I'm a dictator. That's, he doesn't say it in those words, but yes, he's, he says it. Uh, he, he says, if there's a way that I can take action without going through Congress, then I will do it. And that, that is what a dictator does. And, and I, I know a lot of people would, uh, would criticize that statement because they say, look at, look at George Bush or look, look at... Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, you know, they, they did executive orders as well. And I would say, yeah, those, they were dictators as well. You know, that, that, that doesn't change the fact. Obama, you know, he, we're, he's a we're dictator. Yeah. We're um, going to do it my way. <laughs> right. and, and I hope yeah. you like it because this is our, this is our chance. Mm. This is our <laughs> chance. I hope you like it. This is our chance. This is my way. Teamwork. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but yeah. this is my way, but it's teamwork. That's ex- yeah, that's the kind of stuff he says. Yeah, this isn't the the first president that's, that's done this kind of thing. Mm. Mm. Like, I mean, there's there's pretty, pretty much every president is known for something. <laughs> <laughs> there's always yeah, one thing that they that they're able to do, and how do they really get that done? But then, really, if a president doesn't get something done, then they're not really doing their job. So. I mean, we, we were talking about the well, whole propaganda. I mean, one, of, one of my favorite U.S. presidents is, is actually uh, 
silent Cal Coolidge, uh, and he uh, he isn't that well known because he didn't do anything. Well, <laughs> and that's, that, that was probably the right thing to do. <laughs> it, it, it it was. I mean, he did. He was a guy who supported limited government, um, and and he was actually from from what I can tell, my my limited research on the subject, it seemed he was actually uh, sincere in in uh, trying to make the government limited. But, um, yeah, in, co contra in contrast to that, um, yeah, there's a very famous United States president known as uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Honest Abe. <laughs> um, and you can, of course, he's known for the Emancipation Proclamation. He's known for... Um, ending slavery in the United States. But uh, Abraham Lincoln didn't actually care about ending slavery. Um, that was a propaganda campaign. There was a civil war in the United States, or some call it the, the War of Northern Aggression. And you can read Honest Abe's letters in, in which he says, um, if, I could, if I could end slavery, uh, sorry, if I could keep, maintain the Union by maintaining slavery, then I would do that. If I can maintain the union by destroying slavery or ending slavery, then I will do that. Um, basically, and any method about slavery, it, it doesn't really matter to him. The point to him is maintaining the union. The point is about domination. It's not about freedom. And you can read his letters that's, that say that. Um, and you can you can look at his speeches from, from his... Uh, from his first term or before he got elected, and you see he doesn't really care that much about slavery, but by the time they realise it's a good PR angle, in the second term, he's starting to talk about how unjust slavery is. It was brilliant. I wasn't yeah. completely aware of the whole story yeah. up until very recently, mm -hmm. and you know what? I thought it's probably one of the best cases of, mm -hmm. of propaganda without a capital P that was able to be utilized, executed, yeah, and it became seamlessly. History. Yeah, it became history, mm. but in, in a form that is never going to be called propaganda. Yeah. That's just what happened, even though yeah, yeah, that exactly. is not... Maybe it is what happened, but that's not why or the because. Like, there was yeah. no... The, the, the workings is not mentioned. It's yeah. just like, you know, it was a good thing. Yeah. So a strong contrast to the end of slavery in the United States is the end of slavery in, in Brazil. Um, and it, uh, there was a lot of cultural differences as well because there were things in, in the United States, people had to have this contradiction. They had to somehow believe uh, like the, the three-fifths clause of the, of the Constitution that, that black people were actually less than human, um, whereas in Brazil they didn't have that prejudice. And so um, I, I think the government just, just bought the slaves or they made a declaration. They said, you know, we're not going to support this anymore. And, you know, Brazilians hugged their, their, their brothers, whether they were slaves or, or um, uh, free men. And that was it. They, had, they probably had a great big party. I'm sure they did. <laughs> uh, and, you know, celebrated their freedom. But that's, that's very different to what happened in the United States. The United States is its only nation which needed to have a civil war to end slavery. But it wasn't really about slavery at all. No. Because in turn, they enslaved the white man as well. Yes, in, in a way, I mean, it was, yeah, it's about subjugation because it meant, it set a precedent which meant that um, the, the southern states couldn't leave the Union. And 
apparently, I've, I've never had this conversation, but I've heard people say that if you mention secession to somebody in the United States, they will, they will instantly say, why, you, were you in support of slavery? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that that is kind of an, an, an underlying sort of belief okay, yeah. or an understanding, but I, I don't think that's, well, we know that it's been painted, it's painted wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like recently in, of course, uh, Scotland had that referendum recently to, uh, to, to go say we're considering leaving um, the United Kingdom. But um, got, obviously that wasn't about slavery. <laughs> it's nothing to do with slavery. Um, and the, the ideas of secession and, and slavery. Well, maybe not directly. Really yeah. But, in, okay. but economically, <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah. Well, uh, well, if they stay in the, if they stay in the union, then they they have to pay taxes to the crown, and yeah, that's uh, that's a form of subjugation, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. Check. <laughs> yeah. So. So what? Uh, so it comes down to um, propaganda mm. being a, a, a very utilized, a very well utilized tool, like psychologically, yeah. a super tool for governments to to control their people. Yes, yeah. to control their people without without any force. In in most cases, they're able to do it so easily. Yeah, that's to, right. Uh, to continue their their systems, and that's that's called manufacturing consent. And there's there are historical precedents about how the United States government has manipulated the media. So, for example, you, you had this, the CIA um, decades ago. They, they wanted to manipulate the U.S. people, um, but they, they don't actually have the, by law, they don't actually have the, the power to operate directly within the United States. So they would do things like uh, buy off reporters in other countries, get them to publish stories, knowing that those stories would be reprinted in the United States, and that way they can manipulate public opinion within the United States. Um, and there are rumours these days that say things like, uh, like perhaps CIA, the CIA has agents within CNN or Fox News, uh, people named Anderson Cooper as a, as a CIA agent. Um, I've, ne- I've never seen any evidence to back that up, but honestly it wouldn't surprise me. I'm just thinking about it doesn't matter whether you have to, whether you're controlled by a government inside your country or outside your country. Mm-hmm. Like that's a question that, they know that I haven't thought about very much. So how do you mean? Can you give an example? Well, I, well using, uh, using Scotland, for example. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're part of the, the United Kingdom. Right. But does it matter? I mean, they, does, it, does it matter whether the government's inside the country or outside the country? Like, yeah. for example, with Lincoln, right, the, the, the union, they would have had their own local governments. And if the union was broken at that point, yeah. you know, they, they, would, they would continue as what we could deem as, uh, as many smaller states, which could have still had another, a different uh, you know, yeah. other, so other agreement it, of the United States. It would States. have had, the, like, the federal government in the north and the confederate gov- government in the south. Um, so they, those would have been, but of course, I mean, the idea with the United States is that each state is sovereign or each, each state has, uh, has, has power within its area and it's only certain, uh, powers that they allocate to the federal government. But as time went on, the federal government got, got more and more monolithic 
and it over overreached. Um, but that, that's just a, a common trend that all governments seem to follow. Yes. Uh, I, I, yes. I, I can't think of an example of a government that doesn't follow that. No, I can't think of an, a government that's like got smaller over time um, in, in the long term or like where politicians have said, we're going to you know, keep this government as small as possible. Even the, I mean, there's the, the Swiss government and there's no, there's not really a president of Switzerland. There, there are like, I believe there's about seven positions which hold similar power in Switzerland. But even then, I mean, they're, they're talking about, um, they're, in the news last year, they were talking about um, creating a law where everybody has a, a certain minimum salary, whether they're employed or not, which is a, a big indication that it's becoming a, a big government. And, and more of a social, more more socialist. Yeah, I mean that's it's that's what they do, right? Yeah, that's what yeah, that's so what governments do. Um, that's a, that's how democracy works sometimes. Because in a democratic nation, it's like in a democratic government, it's it's a can be, uh, and a lot of the time, it's a kind of mob rule where people try to live at the expense of others. But it seems like uh, for the last say 100 years more so mm. that countries don't really they don't really push to do what they traditionally were doing before commanding and conquering it's like that that's something that, that governments don't don't do anymore well not not overtly but the yeah. united states still does it the united states is an empire it has military bases in so many countries they they seem to confuse them their own activities with uh, with the negative activities of Russia as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do, yeah, like how he says about bullying other nations. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how can you how can you say so directly that you can't have bigger countries bullying little countries? And you know that makes complete sense. But it's just empty when you look at what their government's doing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, in, in reference to. Russia allegedly bullying Ukraine, um, but the U.S. is helping Ukraine express themselves. Yeah, yeah, right. That's a beautiful piece of political language. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think I'm, I'm pretty much wrapped up with, with my my thoughts in the speech. I think it was very well read. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's a well written speech. It's a good piece of propaganda. It's uh, it's it seems to work re- reasonably efficiently and. Um, don't believe a word of it. I can agree to that. (laughs) So my name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. Uh, So press like, press subscribe, uh, leave a comment, tell us a story, tell us what you thought of the speech. Um, Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Trouble Bubble. That's Battle AZ. Yeah, and you can look us up on iTunes as well. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Peace. Peace.